Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. First Centier Investors are a global asset management group managing $247.3 billion of assets as of the 30th September 2021. They have 17 independent teams operating across equities, fixed income, listed and direct infrastructure and multi-asset, led by principles of responsible investment and stewardship. They are home to FSSA Investment Managers, an Asian and global emerging markets equities investor. Stuart Investors, a pioneer in emerging market equities and sustainable investing, and Real Index Investments, a systematic equities manager. Welcome back to the XY Advisor podcast. I'm Fraser Jack, and today I'm joined by Shane Light. G'day, Shane. How are you today, Fraser? Tremendous. Thank you for asking. Uh, welcome to the show. Now, uh, let's start with a little bit about you. You're you're uh, one of the well, partners, I guess we could say, at the Hopkins Group. Tell us about uh, tell us about the Hopkins Group. Yeah, the Hopkins Group is a wealth management um, company, <clears throat> diversified, I guess, uh, model whereby um, you know the the core relationship sits with a financial advisor. However, we have relationships in house. Um, we're subject matter experts where we can, I guess, add value through you know an accounting relationship, uh, mortgage relationship, um, property, and sort of other different um, sort of relationships where we can help uh, provide holistic type of advice. Yeah, amazing. It's it's got so many different arms to your uh, to your business. Um, how many staff have you got? Uh, staff at the moment. So this includes, I guess, our offshore sort of support as well. So which we've um, sort of increased lately. So probably about um, sixty, I would dare say, across the business. Yeah, for pretty decent size, and in Victoria mostly. Yeah, Victoria mostly. We've got a couple spotted around different states. Um, past staff that have left us, uh, well, left Australia. Um, we're actually working um, outside of Australia for us as well. So because again, we can retain good talent with all the technology available to us these days. Got to love high speed broadband, that's for sure. Now uh, let's go back in time. We've known each other for quite a while. Tell us, uh, tell us about how you got into the uh, into this uh, profession in the first place. Yeah, well, uh, failed soccer career um, <laughs> back um, after school, um, I guess 2002, um, I started working in an accounting business. Um, as my dad would always say, you know, you can't rely on your professional football career. So after doing a bit of a stint um, overseas, um, come back and um, was offered a reception role, believe it or not, so front of house um, with an accounting, uh, well, it was actually uh, account business. So it was, uh, again, one of those one-stop shops, um, as Mr. Lambert would like to say. Um, and from that perspective, I guess the career was just born from um, engagement and I want really to be an accountant, um, sort of did my accounting sort of uh, qualifications, moved to mortgages, so learned a lot about the Credit Act back then, did my MFAA sort of um, training and education and a role came up in financial planning. So having, I guess, those different areas of sort of background, um, yeah, I fell into financial planning early on um, and then it wasn't too soon before I actually um, headed uh, out of Wollongong. I wanted to head to the big smoke and um, then spent nine years in compliance and legal. 
Yeah, and uh, nine years in compliance and legal. <laughs> you say that like it rolls off the tongue, but that's not uh, that's not really such a small thing. Uh, tell us about uh, compliance and legal. Because obviously, that's a you know accounting, mortgages background, bit of financial advice. Tell us about uh, you. You know, I think that's probably where I first met you in compliance and legal. But tell us about that part of your life. Yeah, compliance and legal was a different one. I always wanted to be a lawyer when I was sort of at school. So uh, reading legislation um, for myself, obviously, um, was you know what I enjoyed doing. Um, um, so, yeah, when I was offered that role, again, with Count, um, I spent sort of five years, you know, travelling around Australia. Um, I was obviously based in Sydney back then, um, you know, through Victoria, Western Australia, obviously Queensland later on when I met you with a different business. Um, but, yeah, it was very challenging um, to be on the other side of the fence providing feedback and looking through advisors' files um, at that time, which were probably you know, twice or three times my age and senior, um, who had been in the industry again, probably four or five times longer than what I ever would have. Um, so it was look, it was challenging, um, but again, a lot of relationships, just being you know commercially sensible and just having a different approach. Obviously, um, I believe anyway to that compliance side of things, which um, has obviously benefited me in my career and maintained such relationships with advisors. Um, having flipped back, I guess into the advice side of things. Yeah, it's um, it's certainly a, it's a difficult. Uh, piece of work to be involved in this the compliance side isn't it because it's sort of it's I guess you're holding you're holding the uh, the, the measuring stick up but you're also trying you know trying to educate and encourage but sometimes the, the whole thing around compliance is it sort of feels like it's get, it gets tougher and tougher and tougher and tighter and tighter yeah, it does. So, I mean, I, I joined just after FSR. Um, so, we're going back to 2001. So, you know, we'll talk about a lot of legislative changes even over the last 12 months. But since 2001 to now, I've lost count, you know, and how many times or a year specifically legislation has changed. You know, if we were to talk to our partners in their respective occupations, I don't think such change has been experienced across any other industry um, or has had, I guess, the involvement, or, I guess, of the government, you know, and, and the impacts on overall family life as well and well-being that, you know, this industry has seen. Yep. So you work for a number of licensees uh, in that sort of compliance governance role, um, sort of head of advice type roles. Uh, in that sort of looking around and seeing what all these different practices do and then understanding how they how they work and how they can probably, you know, improve because it's obviously it's not just about compliance. It's about sort of saying here is a – maybe there's a better way you can do it based on what you've seen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what was really good about the roles <clears throat> is I could go into a small – business um, who was a sole operator um, who may not be working as efficient as they could be um, having stepped out of another business which could have been quite large you know with multiple um, advisors with a large support staff who had invested in technology to deliver those services or bring those services to the clients at a lower cost and just being able to sort of take what that business is sort of doing without breaching any confidentiality to say hey have you considered doing something a different way and hopefully add value not just you know coming in and sort of as you said, waving that big stick, um, but yeah, <laughs> and and hopefully walking away and being able to change the way that they're doing business moving forward. And there was definitely a lot of that through that period of time because there was so much technology advancement um, through mid. You know, it used to be X Plan, then Midwinter, and. As it all evolved, um, obviously, we see where the industry is today and it's just forever evolving. Yeah. Now, you spend some time, obviously, you know, with, you know, working with licensees, understanding what the drivers were, understanding what the, the pressures were from a licensee, um, being a responsible manager um, and, and going down that path. Tell us about the sort of the responsible manager, you know, the, the job as a responsible manager. 
Uh, well, I mean, people sort of, um, we always talk about what ifs, you know, it's always a risk-based approach. And I guess when we're sitting in that compliance and legal um, side of things, and I probably did more of a, um, a risk-based approach uh, with Aon, so where I met you, is that sitting at a different sort of level, which is you sort of your corporate legal kind of thing. So you're not sitting within the legal structure of, of the license. Um, you are literally looking at the risk um, basis. So when you are reviewing or talking to advisors it's it's not always black and white it's this is the corpse act this is you know the responsibilities that you have if you do something wrong you're impacting the x amount of other advisors that are on the license so it's a different conversation no different to i guess the conversation i have today in in the hopkins group is that you know we're just one business in a larger AFSL, but at the same time, if me out of eight other advisors or, or another one of those eight advisors does the wrong thing, then they need to understand the repercussions it has, not only on the other people in the business, but the business reputation. Obviously, the the significant damage you can do, the brand reputation, obviously the client's loss of trust, which is so important in this environment, but obviously the overarching AFSL and you know the support it provides to the other advisors as well, which it could really, really damage. Yeah, it all stacks up, doesn't it? It's all everyone's part of the, the team, and if one person lets the team down, the te- it's very much a team sport. Tell us about uh, how did you get in the Hop- into the Hopkins Group? Tell us about your entry into that business. Yeah, the Hopkins Group. Um, I dare say it was um, <laughs> probably my wife at the time. Um, I was travelling around uh, quite a bit actually. I, I was working with uh, Wellshaw, which sort of no longer exists now, on um, an enforceable undertaking. Uh, one of uh, one of only that was probably um, sort of you know. S- it was seen through and, and they got off or, you know, got off or released. Um, but as a result of that enforceable undertaking, I was traveling, you know, one week out of sort of two or three, like every every second or third week for a, for a block at a time, I was away. Um, and at that point in time, we were due for, a, you know, first child. So my wife wasn't too impressed that I was traveling so much, so much so that I could be in, you know, Sydney one day, Canberra the next, and then back in Western Australia, and then back to Victoria all in one week. That's, that's how crazy it was because basically when you're in a, an enforceable undertaking, you know, with so many sort of resources and then advisors, like you are just doing what the regulator, you know, wants you to do. Um, and I was lucky enough to obviously have one of the, the largest businesses, which was the Hopkins Group at that point in time. Um, and, you know, being able to sort of, I guess, nurture them and, and provide feedback to them because being larger and provision of more you know, uh, types of style advice, uh, I guess the risk the risk metric goes up. So from that point of view and, and being able to work with them and, and re, you know, reorganize that business and reshape them, um, they like what I did. Um, bit of a, you know, tongue-in-cheek conversation about sort of, you know, like to become an advisor and sort of move back in, in that sort of role. And, you know, that, that just happened. Um, happened so quick, actually, that I was working part-time from the license and part-time from the Hopkins Group that both businesses were happy for me to do that to slowly remove me out of, I guess, the AFSL um, into full-time advising. Yep. So it's, it's you know, an amazing opportunity, obviously, but you get, you have to take it, right? You have to, you have to mention it, have the idea, and then see it through. Uh, and, and it sounds like a really nice transition. Um, tell us about that. So, so you just went in there though as a as a salaried advisor. 
Um, <clears throat> yeah, you're right. So, well, actually, I started off um, as the head of advice. So, the initial role was the head of advice. So, the primary, I had sort of three components to my role, but the primary component was basically the management and the overarching sort of redirection or reshaping of the business. So, this was back in 2015 where Rich, I literally ripped apart everything. And, and even back then, um, we removed, you know, all all or majority of asset-based fee charging, um, reshaped, you know, contracts and, you know, f- the fee disclosure back then, um, you know, uh, how how we advise clients. We even looked at, you know, reshaping uh, technology, um, the X plan. So how, how we can provide efficient advice using the software and tools available in the marketplace because obviously the business was still a little bit archaic back then um, that yeah there there was sort of that aspect of things second was the compliance and then third was you're right it, it was advising but I sort of only started off with sort of 50 to 70 clients even back then um, because the role obviously of running the business mentoring other advisors um, also uh, having other staff in power planning and support roles report through to me that that took up a lot of other time as well. Yeah. When you started there, did you have conversations with them about, you know, becoming a part owner in the business or a partner in the business uh, or did, was that, was that something you had later? That didn't even, yeah, it wasn't even on the cards initially. So um, going in sort of, as I said, as a staff member, um, to think that I'd end up back in an advising role back then was, again, I probably wouldn't even think about it. I mean, my natural direction back then probably would have been, maybe with AFCA or someone like that with my compliance and legal background and working on complaints because I did a lot of that when I was at Aon with the corporate counsel. Um, but yeah, so so sort of going into this um, into this role, really it was just here's the role. It's quite larger than what I've previously obviously ever done. Not too dissimilar to managing a group of advisors, but technically this is this is staff and, and clients. Um, but no, that, that discussion came a couple of years later um, and that was sort of off the, the back of Rachel and Michael also wanting to um, not specifically unlock equity to look at other business opportunities, i.e. what we're doing today with other advisors and businesses and, and merging them in. <clears throat> but I guess, yeah, rewarding um, my hard my hard work and sort of, yeah, being one of the first shareholders outside of it ever. Um, Michael and Rachel or, or Michael and John Hopkins. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty special for them to to come to me and offer that and, you know, still there today, six years onwards. <laughs> yeah, so it's, so it's a large business, been around a long time. Uh, what does it look like sort of now with different advisors buying in and, and what's the model now for, for that transition period of equity and, the, and, and growing the business and having advisors be an owner or partner in the business? Yeah, um, the model is these days. So um, <clears throat> we we enjoy people um, of it, all, all works of all walks of life. Sorry, um, but the advisors having sort of an existing client book. Um, then there's a responsibility and the keenness to not only you know continue to grow and support their revenue, but then obviously have more of a, a link to the overall um, business um, success um, if, there's, if they're tied to it. Um, but normally it's sort of a two-year try before you buy type of period. So you know we sort of arrange um, you know valuations at the outset. Um, but it's sort of over that first 24 months um, that we sort of then go, yep. Um, with, with regular reviews, you know, do we suit one another enough, let's say, for the Hopkins group to then go, we will now swap your existing clients and the value at, you know, whatever the, the agreed value is 
for a piece of equity, which will then, you know, obviously um, be X value at a certain point in time. So it, it's more, you know, we don't want to give it from the outset, but we all want to hopefully be able to send to work together to grow something that is larger. And then also at that point in time, there is the offer of, you know, yes, here's the, the value of your, your clients. You know, would you like to buy more? And I guess, you know, depending on um, how that all works, you know, because we've probably got now four or five different advisors uh, with equity um, that have been with us for now two, three years, which is excellent, um, and have come from their, uh, running their own businesses to now, obviously, a partner and a shareholder of the Hopkins Group um, that allows us to build up um, additional funds as well to go out and look at purchasing um, maybe advisors that just want to exit, exit the industry. So that, that's also a piece of the puzzle as well. Yeah, there's also obviously lots of ways to grow the business. That's a really interesting part, though, for advisors that you know own 100% of a smaller pie, then come in and own a smaller percentage of a much larger pie, though, and and but the equity value is bigger, and and obviously, uh, you know, a more stable business that can you know share resources and do all the things that it does, and have other opportunities in, in other arms that we mentioned before. Um, when it comes to valuations, this is a really interesting part though because it's sort of there's ups and downs in valuations. Do you guys have a particular valuation methodology? And and, and obviously it's probably easier when you've got, you know, you're, you're buying and selling to just continue with a methodology and it's easier to then value the business? Yeah, look, uh, we, we try and keep the equal value methodology the same on both, both ends. Um, so if it's two and a half times or three times or whatever it is, um, then that's it, right? And we do that on both both databases. But I guess our methodology has sort of been proven over time where, you know, depending on the age of the clients, um, depending on um, the type of policies they have, uh, the, where their money sits, you know, is it in older sort of legacy products, you know, as to what value or multiple they get, same as us. So, you know, engage, you know, fee-for-service um, year in, year out, you know, they're your higher valued clients but you know some of the stuff we're seeing with you know your group policies that we're sort of taking on um to have to re-engage and build that relationship they're they're a lesser multiple and for that reason because we don't know how sticky they are or how service or well service they have been in the past so i guess from that perspective it's the same pro rata all the way down sort of you know above 65 sort of onwards type of thing again methodology is sort of it's leaning towards the 1.7 1.8s and sort of so on so on but you know as long as we have that same methodology across the board then yeah we're all understanding that it you know what applies to them applies to us but i think the important thing to sort of know about how we work as well it's not you're not just swapping equity in the financial planning business so the hopkins group obviously is sort of enticing that business generally which doesn't have too many other um, businesses to work with so accountancy uh, mortgages is that you know you're rolling in your financial planning business but now you also have uh, and that's for equity in the greater Hopkins group which owns shares in the mortgage the accounting and other businesses so to potentially you know nurture those clients and have them use the other services which will ultimately you know increase the overall value of the business as well. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly right. Now, tell us about those other arms. Tell us, you just sort of mentioned mortgage and accounting. They're obviously the main ones, but tell us about how that, uh, the relationship between all these businesses work and, and what, what they all are. Well, we, we provide a lot of self-managed super fund advice as well. Um, we've got more corporate, you know, trust company type of um, uh, tax sort of business um, expertise as well. So we, with the head of um, accounting there being Rachel Williams, who come from a, a larger sort of, you know, top four 
um, accounting practice. So the experience um, and the knowledge to be able to help clients um, over and above what your sort of your, your standard sort of accountant would be with your individual tax returns, not to say they couldn't, but usually in this day and age, you know, it's like advising, <laughs> you sort of want to stick to your bread and butter and not sort of go outside of that. So we've built a business where we have those other business services now, um, which helps support our clients um, and that's that's now including you know business sales so business valuations and um, you know if we can't do it then we will engage you know a third-party business as well um, you know and, and refer them that way so um, from that point of view it's really good same with mortgages I guess is you know subject matter expert it's just doing a health check most of the time it's not even it's not even the business it's just if you're paying x rate when was the last time you reviewed it do you need a health check you know, it, it's just yeah. asking that question, having that um, ready um, response, giving it to the client and then putting it back in the client's sort of, um, you know, uh, yeah, responsibility, yeah. sort of action or not action. So because of the size of the business, you've been able to go out and, you know, source, you know, as you mentioned, you know, the, the property services and the valuation expert uh, uh, and, you know, the business tax expert, the, the mortgages expert, the, the, the property expert. Tell, tell us about... Um, uh, how those relationships then, you know, come in and, and, and you know, they are they obviously some of them being standing for a long time, but what, how are you bringing new ones in? Uh, relationships in the way of advisors or, yep. Yeah, just um, for, for those external areas or those areas where you're not necessarily the key subject matter expert. Yeah, well, I mean, for example, I had a client um, that, you know, had, had moved from the US um, and so had, had some US tax exposure. Now, <laughs> we hand on heart do not um, provide international sort of tax advice. But, you know, when you've got other large businesses out there that, that you know, that that's their bread and butter um then we go out and and we hunt for them um but we hunt for them in the way because uh you know we may not actually have experience in dealing with them either because it's very rare that some of these little circumstances pop up so really it's um industry sort of um experience so we ask other people in the industry you know have you had this pop up before if so who'd you use so i think there's more camaraderie in sort of leaning on other people in the industry too these days um and then you sort of know you know if, if they've used them then yep great we're comfortable you know handing our client to them as well you know we're referral free um, we don't believe in referral you know commissions either way fees paid either way so really for us it's you know if we're working with someone we just know that it's that, that right expert for our client yeah comes back down to what every advisor is doing and they're looking at helping and and it's about helping in those other areas identifying and helping now, property is a part of your um, your remit as well within the within the Hopkins Group. You know, property and and you've got a lot of investment property owners and and also um, all sorts of things off the back of that too, from from rental you know uh, contracts and obviously renters need somebody to rent and contracts in place. Tell us a little bit how that part of the business works. Yeah, property, uh, again, it's part of the DNA of the Hopkins Group. Um, and we're on 41 years this year, so have been around for a very long time. And if John was listening to this, he'd be um, very proud as well because believe it or not, he's still working in the business uh, very strongly. Um, but yeah, look, we, we've got all types of property, I guess. Um, for us, we, we've got advocacy. Uh, we've also got the real estate side of things now. Um, we've got the valuation side, which be- becomes pretty important too if we're needing to, to revalue stuff for self-managed super funds. But we normally don't do our own so we, we go out to other businesses and, and vice versa because um, obviously we want arm's length um, but the property management business uh, which is an interesting one it was hit 
quite heavily through COVID, obviously. So there was a lot of lot of challenges there, and and my compliance and legal background also got me involved in a lot of um, dealings with the REI and some of those complaint tribunal sort of discussions with our property managers who had zero experience, you know, in negotiations there. And I think I was stretching my knowledge and trying to to upskill there. But um, there is a lot of people that I guess are out there renting, um, wanting to buy their first home, engage in a lot of our sort of online webinars or our first home sort of toolkits, you know, that we sort of put out there um, and it is challenging. So, look, whether they, you know, funnel through to our side of the business, it's hard because sometimes they've only got, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 worth of savings and it's what's the best thing for them, you know. it's It may not be buying that first home irrespective. It's it's other conversations with them. But, yeah, it, it does open up um, a lot of big opportunities because at any point in time, you know, we've got a 1,000 tenancies, so you can only imagine, you know, if they turn over every 6 to 12 months, our database is quite large. But, again, the database is very engaging. So, yeah, it does add value. Yeah, it brings a lot of people into contact with, the, with the business name, um, it's been. I, I mean, I was saying to someone the other day that rentals has been an interesting thing because obviously it was very difficult to to negotiate and kick people out at a certain time when when people were losing their jobs. Uh, but now the pendulum for me swung feels like it swung back the other way, and it's now it's now very hard for renters to try and find and hold on to or, or bid for new properties because. Uh, yeah, it's a, it always sort of swings that pendulum, doesn't it? Yeah, look, it's a bit hit and miss in Melbourne. Um, you've got people wanting to take up um, opportunity of um, selling units, you know, or, or smaller sort of property, which has had excellent rental yield. But the problem is when you get three, four, five in the one unit, <clears throat> it's detrimental to the price and then detrimental to the, the rental yield. So, you know, there's a lot of things that you don't hear about um, or it's not spoken about in the media, um, but it's definitely real down here. So, you know, you know, may think that, you know, things are sort of upwards or, you know, is pushing strongly, but rent increasing and, you know, market <clears throat> market rents prior to COVID, um, definitely not going to be seen for a little while yet. Yep. Now, because of the large amount of services that the group offers, obviously there's a lot of different moving pieces to the puzzle, but there's obviously a lot of different clients around, which obviously provides a whole lot of um, new opportunities for financial planners and, or the financial planners within your group to talk to new people that sort of already know the brand. Yeah. So um, I guess, yeah, uh, often referrals won't come through to the financial planning business. They, they will come through from um, other relationships, um, from accounting, mortgage broking, or, or just purely, you know, from let's say home home opens um, or inspections too from the property side. Uh, so from that perspective, you know, it does um, create a different dynamic or a different um, avenue for clients to, to come into the business where we may not have um, had those relationships previously. So um, from that side, I think it's a big positive. Now, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today was um, – was a lot of the there's been so many changes going on over the last few years uh you've lived in probably one of the hardest places in the world to live uh throughout the last sort of couple of years obviously uh, all victorians have uh, will be feeling this in some way but um i wanted to talk to you about the mental health of you know the community the people around you your own mental health it's sort of one of those um things that we've spoken about before and if anybody's listening to this and they are uh, struggling with some of the things, then please reach out to some support because um, you know there's a lot of even the associations can help out with the FBA, the AFA, um, uh, but the people around you. You've had a bit of a uh, crazy journey. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, well, COVID, I didn't even know what COVID existed um, last year because I was coming back from South Australia um, and obviously South Australia is, you know, it, I've got family over there, I had property over there. Um, but from that perspective, as soon as I arrived back um, sort of last March, um, I was in lockdown immediately. So come to the office one day, um, lockdown. Um, the challenges um, then just obviously ensued, you know, um, how to remotely sort of deploy not only staff here in Australia, which was quite easy, but offshore. Um, our offshore team had never sort of um, obviously <laughs> worked from home, <laughs> let alone the security around it all. Um, you know, and then um, obviously throw in, uh, you know, all the education, the exams. Um, and I was lucky enough to have done my uh, FASIR exam in South Australia last year, um, which is uh, quite unusual being from Melbourne. But yeah, the the toll and I guess the challenge of being locked up for nearly two years and even for me not being able to see my family, when I say family, my, my parents and, you know, loved ones because basically 90, 95% of the room in New South Wales was, was the next challenge, obviously, and then the homeschooling. So running an entity um, and also having, you know, close to 30 staff also sort of reporting to me that emotional toll, uh, not only on myself, but, you know, other, other people in the business was... Yeah, just unusual. Never experienced before. It's not the extent of it anyway. And obviously, um, I think uh, Melburnians are probably a little bit more prone to be talking about it currently at the moment um, as we're starting to sort of open back up. So I guess, you know, this is why I'm here today is a lot more people sort of, you know, willing to talk about their struggles. But I only feel that it's probably more the Melburnians than, than it is everyone um, because obviously they feel like, or we have been through one of the harshest lockdowns and and probably lesser people around Australia probably comprehend, I guess, that, that toll or what it would be like being locked up for that long. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Uh, I think for, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of industries and, and we're not discounting any of the, you know, the, the health professions or all those sorts of things, uh, but advisors have been through the ringer, haven't they, when it comes to, you know, the, the, the changes that have been needed to be taken place, um, some people have embraced them, um, but it's also very difficult to embrace when you are in a COVID lockdown for, like you said, or lock up for a year and a half. Tell us about um, tell us about that concept of other people around. You mentioned sort of other people around the country, but I think people in Melbourne will be able to empathise with that situation. But they're all everyone's sort of dealing with different occupations and then understanding. Tell us a little bit about how I guess that mental health pressures just sort of build up and just build up and it can, it can become a spiral out of control sometimes because of the, the amount of it build up um and what, what are your what, what are your what's your experience yeah it's an interesting one i think a lot of the build up and i know for me and when i talk about um you know to other colleagues and it can be other people too that i know that do not work in the profession i think homeschooling is the biggest one um like they always assume which you know no, no offense it's the mum or you know that motherly type of um, aspect. Um, I'm unusual. My wife works in a blue collar sort of industry and so do some other uh, mates and uh, wives actually. So, you know, having sort of um, the added pressure um, of homeschooling, I think homeschooling has been the biggest burden on all mums and dads in Victoria. Um, you know, it was only recently we sort of, you know, have a conversation with the, the school and they're going through all the, the staffing stuff. And my daughter, who's now six, um, you know, is about three to four months um, behind in reading, you know, and hearing that now, I, even after sort of having, you know, the mental anguish through, through lockdowns and sort of, you know, um, all, all struggling is that the struggle's real, you know. I couldn't spend or put in time with my daughter the same that the school would have. 
um, or, or the expectations to do that whilst we're in lockdown, whilst we're also um, attending to whether it's our, you know, our everyday sort of work needs, which is my staff, um, my clients, you know, the the need to, again, um, adhere to all the the change and, and the regulations which are so significant in themselves you know breach reporting etc cetera, etc cetera. so you know the the, the the significance of everything and and again it's not to, to say that our industry is too dissimilar like i think every industry out there that could not or had to work from home and had to support specifically young kids through homeschooling um yeah it's just a challenge that I think um, everyone just had to sort of work through <laughs> themselves. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's a little bit hard to comprehend for a lot of other people around the country, maybe if they don't have kids or if they're if they're not from that region. Uh, what can we do, I guess, in that res- respect to the conversations? Um, I mean, I, part of the conversation today is that we're talking about it, which is which I think is an, an amazing thing, which we I think we really need to do a bit more of. But what else can we do? Look, I think um, the mental health for a lot of advice, a lot of people, just in general, a lot of people, um, I think it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. I think a lot of people are starting to get back out, um, you know, and and work, you know, catch up with family, catch up with friends, catch up with any peers, um, and they're starting to talk a little bit about things. But I think what we need to do better um, as people is, and where sort of I failed and, and what I've noticed a lot of other people that I'm happy and comfortable in talking to about my own challenges is that we didn't confide in our um, our other halves probably as much as we should have. And that may be through fear of them not understanding um, the significance or, you know, um, the depth or the breadth of uh, what we were going through. And, I'm trying to make this as general as possible because, as I said, other industries are, you know, facing the exact same challenges, whether it's, you know, shipping and supply and not being able to sort of get stuff from overseas in a timely manner, just absolutely everything. But I I took it for granted that I definitely didn't think, you know, my wife would definitely want to hear it after getting home from work as well uh, or long days, um, having the kids bombarda to, you know, hear about my challenges and, and issues. Um you know, let alone, you know, dealing with clients who had lost their jobs, you know. So the other challenge, I guess, for being a Victorian advisor is, you know, multiple clients lost their jobs, you know, working with them, you know, what to do, um, suspending insurance policies, super, you know, it just everything, um, mortgage repayments, cash flow, like it was just one after another. And you you have to be seen, I, I guess, generally to be that that strong, supportive person because you're in that role of, you know, trusted advisor to your clients say you don't want to be seen weak, if that makes sense. Um, so I guess that there's a lot of that as well, um, I feel, through the community. Um, and then, you know, unfortunately for me, and again, being a young advisor and quite unusual, you know, insurance claims just, just through the roof um, and they weren't mental health, you know, they were cancers and everything was popping up that um, had never been popped up before. Yeah. You mentioned the, you know, confiding in your partner that's probably something that a lot of people would sit down and go, oh, that sounds like it's a normal, but I think there is no normal in the space. I think a lot of people then just sort of don't have that opportunity, that time and that space to have those conversations and they're not always easy conversations to bring up. Have you got any tips or thoughts on what's a good way to start a conversation like that with a partner? Yeah, it's hard. Um, probably no alcohol. <laughs> you want to make sure you're clear-minded, um, you know, 
obviously, you know, had struggled a fair bit. So for me, the conversations were forced, you know, um, and, and it wasn't, you know, just just with my wife. You know, people could see that I was obviously sort of struggling mentally. You know, I was just done. Um, you know, I'd probably drained myself. So I just think. If you're getting, you know, to, to being that bad, it's probably also the other partner sort of being cognizant of this is not you, you know, your energy levels are a lot higher or, you know, stuff like that. So, but for me, I guess I just, I got to a point where I did, um, I just started talking um, and just thought, you know what, it's just too much anymore, you know, without breaching any privacy because that, that's what it's about, right? It's just about the struggles. But I guess the challenge is, too and what I see from our industry um, and for other advisors and I guess we're talking from the advisor perspective because there has been a lot of um, media on I guess everything impacting advisors and it's all sort of culminating to this year next year with FASER exam and and, you know unfortunately the the number of deaths that that have occurred from, from a number of things is you just, yeah, just need to be open and talkative, communicative and just make sure that you don't take them for granted and um, you're just having those conversations and, you know, it's not, oh, no, you know, here's another lot of, you know, legislative changes because every year we see three, four, five or six and they do that every year. But you just got to make sure you're, you're talking about your mental health um, or talking about your challenges and struggles because what I did realise is um, – different perspectives or the ability for someone else to say hey like have you tried this or or have you thought about doing this and I guess I'm thinking about it in a way too because I was managing you know team offshore a lot younger they were struggling with their mental health and obviously onshore and their mental health so you know I'd probably more blindsided by my own issues without also thinking about other stuff so and, and by able to removing you know some of the it's about me or my issues and, and sort of bringing in sort of all the other sort of um, bigger picture type of um, conversations. It's sort of, I removed, I guess, the the more, you know, I guess the issues sort of centered on myself and, and that sort of started to help me a little bit by having those conversations a little bit more openly. And, and I guess what we noticed too is as a team, so it's not just about my wife, is once our team and our business also started to, to have a chat about, I guess, that and have a sort of a bit of a well-being, you know, pep talk because I think it's evident, like everyone was struggling um, and people felt a little bit more comfortable about having that that chat with one another and it's amazing how supportive people can be, especially, and, and it's a shame that we have to all be going through stuff, I guess, at the same time all together to, to seek that support you know, would we have received that support from, let's say, someone else if we had reached out interstate? I'm just saying, and, you know, over media and everything was done again, you know, virtually. Um, would we have received that same support? Probably not because the, the experience and the empathy probably is not there because they haven't gone through it. Yeah, I think experience and empathy and understanding is is, is, a, is a huge part of this. You mentioned the states. I've also noticed there's a big divide. Uh, you know, a great way to divide states is by, you know, you know, divide humans is to put a state line and, 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 and talk about our states better than yours or doing better at such and such or all that crap that went on. And and you're right about teams and well-being, you know, like understanding. And, and, and you know, like you, as you mentioned earlier, you know, you felt like you had a leadership position, you had people relying on you and you felt like so there you couldn't then show any weakness. Um, it's not though showing weakness, is it? It's more, it's more around saying, well, you know, if if you're burdening more of the responsibility, you're still a human. At the end of the day, you're still going to feel stuff. Yeah, but it's it goes even further too. Like you're right, 
it, it is a, a sense of responsibility, but then they also feel that, and there's a stigma. So the, the issue is, there's a lot of stigma, I guess, against mental health, right? So, um, you know, and I've always thought, you know, don't share, don't talk. Um, but obviously, you know, the, this whole um, event and, and there's said many people I've spoken to and, and, you know, it's prompted me, you know, you speak up about it because, you know, we are a large business. We have suffered. Um, a lot of people have suffered. I have, you know, I, I have definitely gone through um, my fair share. Um, but it's the clients. I guess it's the perception, you know, is what happens if my clients find out, you know, or what happens, you know, the, is it reputational damage? I mean, in our industry, you know, we don't want our clients to, to see or feel that we're weak as well. So, you know, by talking about it or more broadly, you know, will that get out and, you know, will people share that information? So I guess it's just there's a raft of issues that probably need to be dealt with or spoken about. But again, it's going to have to be that person that's sort of now recognizing that their uh, mental health has gotten that bad that they do need to, to talk about it because if they if they don't then it's only going to eat them alive and it's going to cause more issues unfortunately yeah the stigma is a really interesting thing and i also think about it from the you know the, the what's professionalism point of view and what is a professional is expected to do um and and you know you, you sort of have this idea of the professional in a suit you know standing there being bulletproof and not you know everything just being deflecting off and being able to act calmly and rationally in all that situation but i think the, the authenticity to me these days that my my opinions changed on what that professional uh that ideal professional looks like and to me these days it's all around you know acting in the best interest obviously but being real and being authentic and being true to yourself and then and then standing tall saying this is me you know this is how i am as a human but i can also behave in a professional manner i don't have to like the behavior of a professional is different from the human of, of that the human that is the professional yeah yeah you're right um i mean look the way i got around it with my clients um without you know sort of divulging too much is we were working. So, I mean, technology can be good and bad, right? So, you know, you work from nine to five with technology. It doesn't work like that. Like, if we're seeing clients with technology, we're then on technology again with the emails and everything else. And it is, it's all technology. But what would be a five or 10 minute sort of meeting with someone sitting in the office from a desk across from you is now another 20 or 30 minutes virtual meeting. <laughs> online just to sort of move things around and it, it created a lot more um, time spent online but we were working longer hours so the the merging of your your professional and business life was then merging into your you know your personal life like so work home personal professional like and not being able to leave home because we had the curfew and just absolutely you know all those other sort of compounding factors is I think clients were really receptive um, at the end of the day and I, I was. I was saying, I'm not taking any calls. My phone's going off at six. Like it was literally going off and um, I'm pretty strong these days actually still now um, that I've sort of built that into my, um, you know, and my clients are really respective now because I think they started to realize, not, not from their side of things, but even their work. Like I've got a lot of clients that I would also see and meet with and you could see that they were tired. So they were also having the same probably impacts that the technology was um, having on us um, is that, you know, they were experiencing it as well. It's just technology overload. <laughs> yeah, yeah you are, you're right. It's a great thing, but the, having a separation, yeah, in our life, whether it's, you know, uh, the separation between going to work and coming home or the separation of something and, uh, you know, being able to identify. And, and I guess we have over the last few years, 
everything's happening in the one place, working from home, homeschooling, uh, you know, all that, all that technology. Tell us about one of you. I know that you do a lot of, um, uh, I want to, I want to talk about the bee, the beekeeping side of it. How do you, that, you know, you use that concept to be able to get out of the house and, and do something that's completely different and just be able to, um, you know, breathe some fresh air and, and, and tell us about uh, tell us about your beekeeping responsibilities. Yeah, well, as a beekeeper, um, we were permitted because they, they are agriculture and livestock. Um, we didn't actually use the permits too much through through the height of COVID because our bees were kept literally five kilometres one way and sort of a hundred metres another way. Um, but yeah, we've got about sixty beehives, um, three different farms, so twenty 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 kind of thing. It's just worked out that way. Um, and a couple of swarms at our home at the moment that we nurture and then sort of move outside the five. Ks and bring back, um, but bees have been proven to be really good. I guess uh, mentally, uh, just sitting there and watching a beehive is phenomenal. Just and listening to them when there's no wind and today's a perfect day. It's you know um, beautiful and sunny here in Melbourne with no wind. If I was sitting out there just with the bees and I had, say for example, if I took you there, you would be able to hear with nothing, no sound just the buzzing and that sheer sort of buzzing and just listening um, is, is phenomenal. Um, oh, look, I'm one of the lucky ones too where I, when I get stung uh, multiple times, it doesn't affect me and, and that happens often um, because I do my beekeeping generally without gloves and <laughs> without a, a suit on um, or when we've got some angry hives, I'll put the top on and um, I'll go in with thongs and socks and everything else and my wife just um, shakes her head at me. But that's the way I do things, um, just that, that trust and um, that connection. So, uh, and I think that's been a, a big factor, obviously, as well as, um, and we haven't sort of touched on that too, is through COVID not being able to leave as well, you know, no drinking. So everything's just about healthy, eating, being clean, um, you know, working with it and, you know, spending more time with the kids, um, building stuff. So being arty or getting out in the backyard and, and just being creative as well as uh, definitely the beekeeping. <laughs> Yeah, really good for the mindfulness. Now, uh, we probably will talk on health, talk about health and, and, and alcohol consumption. You know, I've shared a beer before. Uh, now, tell us about what, what, you know, you've done in that space with, with health and, and alcohol. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I knew mentally uh, and not just myself, you know, um, earlier this year, um, it, it was getting the better of me and I needed to do something. I've always been at the top of my or peak fitness, um, you know, whether it's just, you know, running sort of, once had marathons or half marathons, but definitely some fun runs. Um, my sport, my soccer, um, always you know played at an elite level. Um, but yeah, just being at home, not being able to go anywhere, um, not even you know outside for walks, <clears throat> only in your backyard. You know, um, I put on a, a few kgs, <laughs> and um, drinking obviously um, is a bit of an issue. Um, so yeah, in May, uh, made a cognizant effort to stop. Um, haven't had a drop of alcohol since then, and, and don't intend to for for a very long time. Um, they say it takes six, seven years to repair your body after alcohol. And as you know, we've probably done some damage through through our time um, at some events. So, you know, I'm, I'm on this journey now of hopefully, you know, really trying to, to not only uh, get better mentally, uh, which which I believe I'm, you know, working through and then working with my team on and, and anyone else that sort of comes to me in the industry now um, is that, yeah, once you start a habit, so a habit sort of that 60-day type of sort of thing, I don't even miss drinking. You know, I've been to events where people are drinking and I just, I, you know, my wife still has a drink here or there or wakes up, um, you know, with uh, why did I have a drink? It's like, don't don't miss it. So I think physically too and mentally that has definitely helped and I can feel that I'm sharper, um, a lot sharper, uh, so much um, sharper that um, you'll see hopefully a, a little bit of a um, 
and this is a sneak preview, a book be published um, soon enough. Um, all about bees, obviously. So, you know, there's a few things like that um, that have been just able to work out, smash out. And um, I think everyone can also see that the energy's come back. And um, yeah, as long as you recognize, I guess, the issues, the pitfalls, you talk about it and you make sure you, um, you I guess, you confide in people that you trust um, and that you trust that can give you the right sort of feedback and direction. Uh, that's the importance. That's what you definitely need to seek out. Yeah, it sounds like uh, it's it's always a it's always a journey, isn't it? And obviously, it sounds like you're uh, you're doing very well on the uh, on the upside of this journey. But uh, you know, and you're right. You know, there's we do um, you know culturally, you know, throw a beer in there every now and again, and um, and you know, it certainly can get out of control if if it's every day and you're just in the same ground hog of inside the inside the house and you're drinking uh, drinking with each other or by yourself. So, um, I think a lot of people might be feeling that uh, right now with the with the alcohol consumption. But hey, it's a reason for a BDM to take you out for a better lunch. Just drop the alcohol and just go up the price, go up the menu with prices. <laughs> Get yourself a nice steak. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Tell us about the where to from here. You know, sort of uh, what have you got? Any big plans this year? You know, I'm, uh, you know, all I can say is I'm hoping everything's opening up at the moment. And and what what are your thoughts, sort of, in the short and, and medium term from from here with the with the work and. Look, we'll go back to the office uh, one or two days a week. We're trying already. The challenge is, um, and again, with with people working, we're coming back into school holidays. Um, you know, is you know, are people going to be back at home because of the children are back at home? We got school holidays upon us. Um, you know, childcare's uh, a lot harder to to come by. Um, you know, we've been lucky enough to have an au pair. You know, previously who's gone home to you know to the UK. So finding that paid help. Um, and and trusting them or you know the the right checks for us you know that that's where we're at and I think a lot of Victorians are at the same sort of circumstance that I've spoken to is that everyone wants to get back to normal but normal like there's a lot of part of the industry that would normally support our normal life um, that has now disappeared so there's a lot of challenges I guess in in now sort of yeah reaching out and, and sort of getting that help. So, um, you know, we're lucky to, to have found some help, um, you know, leading to the year, but that's not going to fix up sort of next year and, and beyond. Um, so from that point of view, yeah, I'd love to get back. But again, everyone I've spoken to, even from BDM World, um, you know, Support World, they're not even going back into the office. So they're sort of just doing a few lunches and, and that here and there. But even their their motivation to head to the city to do stuff, it's, it's also dwindling and, and it's sort of, gone um so yeah there's a lot of motivation just being ripped out of people in melbourne and maybe we have just gotten too used to sort of just being at home and around i guess you know whether it's friends family um and i've got my wife's side here obviously but we're just wanting to spend more time with the kids but outside because technically the kids are also the ones that have lost out hugely and, and i can see that you know in my kids you know they, they want to go to the zoo the aquariums like there's been 12 months of nothing so you know there's a lot of that aspect of things now and even my daughter you know two years lost of swimming you know she wants to do swimming lessons it's like you're right we've got to try and get her into swimming lessons but even struggling to do that because there's just hardly anything around so there's a lot of um a lot of strain i guess um in respect to you know all those different areas at the moment which i think you're still going to see a lot of people sort of struggle with yeah it's it's a it's a rebuilding you know conversation isn't it and bouncing you know, Ford. I think Sam Cawthorn used to say, you know, don't you don't want to bounce back to where you were before. You want to bounce forward to a you know the new normal. And I think we're all on that journey of rebuilding that and to, to what that might look like. So I don't think it's going to 
I don't think it'll look like what it used to. It'll be a, a new thing, and and hopefully we can build it in the way we want it to be. That's it. I think I'll have a lot more people come and visit me and um, jump into B suit. So there's been a lot of yeah. a lot of talk about that. So when that starts to happen, or Fraser, when you're down here, mate, we'll get the XY team down in some B suits. Excellent. <laughs> and if you want to check out uh, Shane um, in the B suit, you you probably better to find him on TikTok than any other uh, medium. Is that right? That's it. We've got a lot of TikToks these days. Um, it's all about bees. Um, so yeah, and even my daughter, she's six. She's got her own B suit, so she's always in there helping us out as well. Fantastic. Shane, thanks so much for coming on and chatting to us today about uh, about, about work, but also uh, the mental health journey that uh, a lot of advisors and planners are on um, and just sort of bringing that up. And I think we should talk about it. And thank you for coming on and t- telling us about your story. Um, if somebody wants to um, continue the conversation with you, what's the best way for them to reach out? Uh, look, they can reach out professionally through my email. Um, my mobile's on there or it's all on LinkedIn as well. So um, all my contact details are all out there. Fantastic. Shane, thank you so much. Thank you.